Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently, so that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this, 36-year-old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country and they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like, some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. that I'm about to tell you is 100% truth. Zero embellishment has taken place. And after I tell it, you'll know why the story got bumped to the top of my list of things to talk about today. It was night before last, about 1.30. I went to bed, turned off the lights. It was pitch black in my room. And I hear something fluttering around underneath the dog bed. And I thought, what's well, one of those giant moths? So Bentley stood up, and she was sticking her head underneath there and kind of pawing at it. And I was like, get it, Bentley, get it. And so she goes under there, and there was, there was no dog on the dog bed at the time. So she runs under there and comes back out. And I was like, well, there's the end of that moth. I look over. It's pitch black. So all I can see is a silhouette of her standing there over her prize. And I was like, it's okay, Bentley. You can lie down. She wouldn't leave it. She kept standing there staring at it, and she kind of pawed at it a little bit. And I was like, well, it must be still kind of alive. I guess I'm going to have to get up and deal with this moth. So I hold up my iPad and just click it on to provide some light so I can kind of see what's going on. And sure enough, she's just standing over it, staring down at it. So to get a better look, I hop up, flip on the overhead lights, and much to my surprise, it was not a moth, but a giant bat. Now, I've seen lots of bats before. Most of them are pretty small, about the size of sparrows. If you stretch their wings out, maybe six inches, maybe eight inches. This thing had a one-foot wingspan. No exaggeration. It was still kind of flopping around, although it hadn't made any noises. 
Immediately, I grabbed the laundry basket, dumped all the clothes out of it, and tossed it upside down over the bat. So then I had time to think. And I know bats carry rabies. And so first of all, I was worried that my dog may have just gotten rabies from biting into a bat. But then I said, you know what? She's got a rabies shot. She's probably going to be fine. Now I've got to figure out what to do with this half-dead bat that could probably still hop up and fly if it wanted to. At least I thought at this point. So the bat's underneath the basket. I said, okay, I'm going to go get the pool net, like the dip net, and then try to, like, put the bat in there. And so I grab my flashlight, go outside to the little shack where all the pool equipment is, dig out the net, come back. About that time, Felipe comes walking up. He's like, what are you doing with the pool net? And I said, Felipe, I might need your help. He's like, okay, why? I said, there's a bat inside the house. He's like, oh, okay. So we walk in the house, and he's like looking up at the ceiling, looking for the bat. And I was like, oh, no, it's on the ground. He's like, oh, it's on the ground, yeah. And so he sees it flopping around inside the basket. And so I was like, so what I think we got to do is you pull up the basket, then I'll put the net on top of it, and we'll have it in the net. And then he was like, well, then how are you going to flip the net over? And I said, well, we'll have to cover it with something. About that time, he just reaches down with a rag, and a portion of the bat's wing was sticking out of one of the holes in the laundry basket. And he latches onto its wing, and the bat starts going nuts, but it's still contained inside the basket. So he holds onto the bat's wing, picks up the basket, and flops the rag over the bat's body while still holding on to its wing through the hole. And then he reaches around, grabs the rag and the bat as one unit, carries it outside, walks out to the grass, throws it down. Bat hits the ground, flops around a little bit. And I said, Felipe, you know, it's, it's not going to fly. I think you're going to have to kill it. He's like, you think I should kill it? And I said, yeah, maybe just get like a big rock or something. About that time, out of the sky, here comes Felipe's left boot and dispatched the bat with two shots. And it made some sad, sad, whining bat dying sounds bats freak me out man i can deal with snakes i can deal with these big poisonous frogs i can deal with giant moths flying around but bats for some reason they like my mom used to say they give me the heebie-jeebies i don't like them i don't i don't want to see them die but i'd rather see them die than be in my house i don't know what felipe thought he probably thought i'm the biggest sissy on the face of the earth But then again, he didn't know what rabies is. So the next morning when Ronnie showed up, I couldn't wait to tell him the story. I said, hey, let me me tell you what happened last night. So I kind of told him the story. He kind of laughed a little bit. He said, oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of bats living in the attic. And I go, what? He's like, yeah, come over here. And he showed me these three holes in the overhang of the roof where he's seen bats going in there. And I said, Ronnie, if you've seen bats going in there, let's cover up these holes. He said, yeah, I know. I've been asking the property manager for some materials to do it for a long time, and they haven't given me any. I said, well, for the time being, if we got to use tinfoil, we'll use tinfoil. It doesn't have to be perfect. He was like, oh, don't worry. They don't bite. I said, I'm not worried about them biting. I just don't like them living in the same cave as me. Ronnie probably thinks I'm a bigger sissy than Felipe does. But either way. I'm not embarrassed to admit that I don't want bats living in the attic. If that's too sissy or too prima donna, so be it. 
I don't play with bats. They got rabies. So last week, I got a call from my buddy Jerry at about 9 o'clock in the morning. He said, what are you doing today? I said, you know, just the usual. He said, I got to go to Rivas. You want to go? And they go, well, nobody really wants to go to Rivas, but I'll be happy to go ride shotgun and hang out with you. So he scooped me up, and I said, well, while we're in Rivas, I'm going to go ahead and get some pig feed. What do you got to do? He said, well, I got to get my oil changed. And here, an oil change, you don't just drive up to the Jiffy Lube and drive away in 10 minutes. What you have to do is you got to go buy the oil at one place. And there's one place where you can get it cheaper than where we bought it. But if you buy it there, you still got to go to where we had to go to buy the filter. So you got to buy oil one place, filter at one place. Unless you want to pay a little bit extra for the oil, then you buy filter oil same place. Then you take both of those to a mechanic, drop them off with him, and let him change your oil. And so that's what we did. We got to Rivas. We went to the place, bought the oil, bought the filters. He also bought a couple fuel filters because his truck's a diesel. And so we dropped it all off with the guy. He said, oh, it'll be an hour. So we said, all right. So we set out on foot trying to figure out where we could go. We looked around, see if we could find any bars. There wasn't much that we could see at 11 o'clock on a weekday. So we walked down the road a little bit, and there's a little coffee shop. It's right next to the, the famous Burger King in Rivas. I said, man, no matter what we do, Jerry, I don't want to go to Burger King. He said, no, that's fine. I don't want to either. So we walked in this coffee shop. We looked around. It was like $4 for a cup of coffee, like $3 for like a little piece of cake. This is the same place where I got the pecan pie. And if they had pecan pie, I would have bought a piece, but they didn't. So I said, man, let's go somewhere else. He said, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And I knew at that time we were both thinking the same thing. Like two doors down, there's a fried chicken joint called Tip Top. It's not the world's greatest fried chicken, but it's good. And so I said, man, you want to go to And he goes, tip top? And I go, yeah. So we walk over there. We each get us a piece of fried chicken, sit there for an hour, go back. Truck's done. I think the bill for the oil change and the fuel filter change was 7 bucks. So handed the guy $7. We left. He said, where do you need to go? I said, I need to go to the feed store. He goes, how do you get there? I said, well, I'm not sure from here, but go that way. So we drive around, make a couple turns. I'm like, man, Jerry, I don't know. We're going to have to go back to the main road. And about that time, we pull up. I said, wait, there it is right there. And I've said before that that's just the way things happen. You get lost, you get lost. And then when you go back to the main road, you always find your destination. So we stop. I hop out, run into the feed store, buy the feed, and for whatever reason, they thought it would be best to load 400 pounds of feed into the back seat of Jerry's truck. And it looked like it was going to rain, but the bags are waterproof. And so I get back to the truck after I paid and everything. I was like, where's the feed? He goes, oh, they put it in the back seat. I look back there. Sure enough, pig feed, dog feed just piled up in the back seat. And it's like higher than the front seat. I mean, almost blocking the back window. I said, man, why'd you let him do that? And he goes, oh, I tried to tell him, but they didn't understand. You know, Jerry, he can't even order at Taco Bell. It doesn't speak enough Spanish. So I said, well, you want to move him to the back? He goes, no, no, they're fine. About that time, he hit his brakes, and all the bags fell forward, knocked both of our seats forward, jolted our heads. And I said, well, you sure you don't want to move him to the back? He goes, well, now they're not going anywhere. <laughs> so he left him back there. 
drove back home, we got back to my house, and we both agreed that it was probably one of the smoothest trips to Rivas that either one of us had ever experienced. Because we didn't get lost. Nobody ripped us off. We didn't have to wait in any huge lines. And it all worked out perfect. So we set, had a couple beers to celebrate our successful day in Rivas. Which doesn't happen all that often. And when it does, you got to celebrate. I get a lot of questions from people asking about why I have like a nighttime security or whatever you want to call them. Quidador is what they call them here, which means like someone who looks out for something, like someone who watches something. So basically a security guard. In this house, I've never had any problems with crime, never had any thieves or bandits snooping around that I know of. But it's a peace of mind for me to have someone here 24 hours a day so that I can just walk away, leave, leave all the doors and windows open, leave the dogs loose, and not have to worry about it. And it's not just that I'm willing to pay for that. It's will, I'm willing to pay to make sure that someone doesn't come and break in here. Because anytime you've got, you know, by their standards, I've got a ton of money. By the U.S. standards, definitely not the case. But either way, they see a gringo here living at the top of the hill. He's got a computer and a bunch of microphones set up in his room. And so... It's, it's just a target and not necessarily me, but if, if some bad guys were looking for a target, I could possibly be one. And it's so cheap to have someone here looking out for things that to me, it's worth it. I grew up around a pretty wealthy area. By no means was I wealthy or my mom wealthy, but I grew up amongst friends who were. And this area called the Woodlands, which is north of Houston, nothing to have a home for a million dollars which in texas is a pretty good chunk of change but you'd be in these fancy neighborhoods that you have to go through a gate to get into the neighborhood then you have to go through another gate get in their house and i used to always think why do they need a gate inside of a gate inside of one of the wealthiest subdivisions in texas and then now i've kind of realized no it's not that they really need it but to them, the price is so small that it's worth it to have it. Now, I could have never afforded something like that in Texas. But here, I can. And so I just kind of think to myself, why not? It's just a peace of mind. Now, granted, Felipe sleeps most of the time during the night. But if somebody drove up or if somebody hopped over the fence, I hope he would see him. Maybe not. But it's one more set of eyes and ears that I have. So not really a need for one per se, but it's like an insurance policy. When I was telling the story last week about the residency and Ronnie and Ismail being my Nicaraguan references, I forgot to tell one funny detail about how that situation went down. So when she asked for my references, I thought, how can I do this as fast as possible? I said, well, Ronnie can be one. She goes, okay, go get him. So I go get Ronnie. He brings his driver's license. I said, hey, you think Ismail will be one too? He goes, yeah. Give me your phone. So I handed him my phone. I couldn't hear Ismail. But Ronnie's exact words, speaking as fast as he could, were, hey, come up to Brandon's house right now and bring your driver's license. Click. (laughs) And he just hung up. 
And I thought, you didn't even explain to him why, what's it for, who's, like, who's here, what does he need to do? He's like, no, it's fine, like, relax, he's coming. Sure enough, here comes Ismail on his motorcycle, all smiles. And Ronnie explains to him as they're walking up, yeah, Brennan's getting his residency, this lady needs you for a reference from a Nicaraguan. So he's like, okay. And he handed her the driver's license, and she wrote down some information and handed it right back to him. I thought it was funny how brief the conversation was. Had somebody called me or a neighbor called me and said, hey, come over to my house right now, bring your driver's license. Click. I would have called him back or texted him and be like, what? What are you talking about? But I think they're so accustomed to super short phone conversations because they don't like paying for minutes on their cell phone, which no one does. But when you're talking in terms of their disposable income, cell phone minutes add up. So they keep their conversations as short as possible and then work out the details. And I kind of like that. So I may implement that method. So if you ever talk to me on the phone, I just bark orders at you. Just trust me. I'm trying to keep from running up my cell phone minutes. Speaking of disposable income, I got an email from Patricia, who's helping me with my residency, saying that I owed $260 with no details other than that. So I call her. Now, let me backtrack a little bit. If you remember a few shows ago, I said that I had to pay a helper of hers $300 to go to Rivas to procure some papers that we had filed with their county clerk's office. That We had lost originals, but they had the certified copies there at Rivas. Normally, you have to apply and do all this stuff and wait. Well, with the $300, he was going to be able to make a donation to somebody who would expedite the process and get Patricia the necessary papers she needed in a lot shorter amount of time. So I gave her the 300 bucks. I said, that's it, right? Nothing else. I'm not paying any more money. Nope, nope, that's it, that's it. So I got an email from Patricia saying that I owed him another $260. And I thought, nope, not playing this game. So I call her back. I said, hey, I got your email. What is that $260 for? She said, remember, because you couldn't find your papers? I said, I know, but that's why I gave you $300 a few months ago. And she said, yeah, I know, but the guy said he needs more and he already had to pay it out. I said, no, no, this is not how I do business. We agreed on a price, I gave it to you, and now you're coming back wanting more money with no proof of anything. In the meantime, we recovered the papers that we thought we lost. So had she called me ahead of time and said, hey, we need another 260 bucks, what do you want us to do? I would have said, nope. Don't worry about it. I have the papers. We can handle it. But she didn't do that. She just told this guy to go do what he needed to do. Some wealthy gringo will just fork over the money, and you won't have to worry about it. And so I called her, chewed on her butt a little bit, and she said, okay, all right, let me see what I can do. And I haven't heard back from her. But it's my understanding that everything has already been submitted to the powers that be. So I don't think he can hold me hostage for anything. Because she said he's been asking for it for like two months, which is about when I gave him the 300 bucks. So it sounds to me like he had to fork over more than what he expected to get stuff done and wanting me to foot the bill. Which, had he cleared it with me, we may have been able to work something out. But it's such a typical move. And I don't know, maybe he did need to fork over more money. But either way, he should have come to me first. Sometimes you got to learn the hard way. If I thought I could make money teaching classes on grocery store etiquette and efficiency, I would do it down here. Because that's not important to them, neither one. Being polite or being in your way 
does not matter to the people that shop for groceries here, except for me, maybe a few others. The other day, I was driving into town, and I thought, oh, I need to stop by the grocery store. And I pulled in the parking lot, and man, it was pretty full. And now keep in mind, there's probably 20, 25 parking spots at the grocery store. And there's, a, and there's like three or four of those are for motorcycles. And so there's about 50 motorcycles in three spots. And lots of the parking spots were full. And I thought, man, this is going to be a zoo. I looked down at the date and I realized, ah, it's payday. Everyone comes shopping when they get paid, just like everywhere else. So I thought, well, I just need one thing. I'll run there and make it quick. So I run in there. There's like 10 people in every single line. There's only four cash registers in the entire grocery store. There's 10 people deep at every single line. And when they go shopping here, it's not just one person. It is a family affair. So as I walked in, I headed for the aisle that I needed to go down. And there's like a group of five people all standing around one cart, looking at each other and talking. And I thought, instead of trying to like squeeze by them, I'm just going to go over to the next aisle. So I go one aisle over, look down the aisle. It's like the same thing. There's like seven people gathered around two carts, blocking the entire aisle. I said, okay, I'm going to go down to the third one. There's only four aisles in the whole store. So I go to aisle number three. Exact same thing. I thought, you know what? I cannot do this. Turned around and walked out. <laughs> Whatever it was, I don't remember what I needed, but I did not need it that bad. Another thing that you won't see at a grocery store is someone to offer to let you go ahead of them. If they've got 5,000 items and you've got one or two, it never crosses their mind for them to say, hey, would you like to go first? Now, I've gotten to the point where I'll ask them, And every single time, they say yes, but it's begrudgingly. They do not want to say yes. But I'm not scared to ask them. I've never been told no. But every single time, I said, hey, um, is it possible if I go first? And they kind of just, they don't smile. They don't say sure. They just kind of nod their head towards the cash register and step back a little bit. And I thank them as sweetly as I can but it hasn't changed their behavior. The other morning I woke up at about 6.15 to what sounded like pigs being slaughtered. But I knew as soon as my eyes popped open, the pig injector man's here. So I got up, went out there, and watched the pig injection circus. And now the pigs are big enough and strong enough where you can't just grab them by the ears and drag them over to you and inject them. And after this, we're, we're done with injections. No more. No more. They've been injected enough. So pig injector man's out there. He's got a little piece of twine, and he's trying to make a lasso out of it, but he can't get it to stay open when he's flinging it towards the pig's heads. So I just sat back and watched. And with, as each pig gets lassoed and starts screaming its head off, the pigs are becoming more and more scared of this man. Rightfully so. But it's getting harder and harder to catch him. So the last pig, he tried holding out some food for it to come up, but it wouldn't come up. It's, been, it's heard three pigs squeal their faces off, so it's too weary. 
So after chasing around for about 15 or 20 minutes in the mud and the sweat and the heat and the mosquitoes, he finally gets the piece of twine around the pig's head. And I'm thinking, man, that pig's going to cut your fingers off because he had this thing wrapped around all four fingers. If that pig goes to flinging its head, it's going to slash him pretty good. But luckily the pig didn't. It just squealed and squealed and squealed. Finally he got up to it. Got the vitamins injected, and that's it. I gave the pig man his $3. He rolled out, and the pigs are done with injections. We had a lady that said she wanted to buy a couple of them. Ronnie said he quoted a price of 7,000 Cordobas, which is $252. I think I've figured out that as of today, we've got 220 in each pig, and the pins and everything. So I told Ronnie, if the lady comes through and she buys two of them for 7,000 Cordobas apiece, we would each make $70. With every week that goes by, if we sell them for the same amount, it goes down 10 bucks. So, of course, the lady never showed up, didn't call Ronnie. And I asked Ronnie, I said, man, why don't you, because uh, it was one of his neighbors. I said, why don't you go bang on that lady's door and you get home? And figure out why she didn't come. So the next day he comes back. He says, yeah, she said they were too expensive. <laughs> and I said, who, who told her the price? And he said, well, she offered 7000 I said, so she offered 7000 cords, said she was going to come look at them, and then decided the price was too high? And Ronnie goes, yeah. So I suspect we're about to be upside down in Piglandia. When that happens, some pigs going to start getting slaughtered quick because they're eating about... 100 pounds a week between the four of them, about 25 pounds per pig per week. Starts adding up quick. The jokers are serious about eating. And I've officially been without internet for three days now. The guys just showed up, fixed my internet, and left. They came yesterday. I don't see how they can make any money. As many times as they come out to the house, I mean, they've got to be losing money. Then they send six guys. They don't just send, you know, a truck with one guy or sometimes two. There's like six of them, like, you know, crew cab, pickup truck, and they pile out and they go to climb on the roof and they get out their ladders and some of them are standing back smoking cigarettes. They all want to know why I got microphones and headphones all over the place. Ask me if I perform music. They're here for about an hour and a half. They ran a new cable changed some equipment up on the roof and did a bunch of programming-like stuff that I didn't understand. They were here for about an hour and a half, and they left, and I now have Internet. So over the course of the last 30 days, I've been without Internet for about seven of them. And so I talked to the property manager, and I said, hey, when you go to pay this bill, I mean, it's not going to affect me, but when you go to pay it, you need to get a credit for the six or seven days that I didn't have Internet. He just kind of laughed at me. He said, no, there's no way they would ever do that. And I said, really? Even if you made a big enough stink? He goes, yeah, they don't care because in the contract that you sign, it basically says you're paying for it whether you have service or not. And I said, well, then why do people sign it? And they said, because all the Internet companies have the exact same contract. So what are you going to do? And I thought, well, in the free world, you'd start another Internet company, provide better service charge a little bit more, and not have the contract. But that's not going to happen here. 
we'll just keep battling the internet battle. Okay, that's going to wrap up today's show. It's hot. The winds are blowing onshore. And my house smells like it's in the middle of a pig pen. I feel sorry for the neighbors because they live real, real close to the pig pen. Even though the wind is kind of blowing it away from the neighbor's house towards mine, it has to be a little bit bothersome. So even though they're vegetarians or vegan or something like that, something something sad, then they will probably not be disappointed when those pigs disappear. And you know what? I won't either. Thanks again for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Check out our website, nikasaleandsurf.com. And send me an email, nikasaleandsurf at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Cause I can sing all them songs about Texas And I still do all the sad ones that I know They tell me I look like Merle Haggard And sound a lot like David Allen Cole town that we played in knew the words to every song I'd wrote she said Jimmy Rabbit turned her on to my last album just about the time the jukebox broke yeah Johnny Cash helped me get out of prison long before Rodriguez stole that goat So long I can't remember And I can do you every song Hank Williams ever wrote And I can sing all them songs about Texas And I still do all the sad ones that I know I can't help it I look like Merle Haggard And I sound a lot like David Allen Cole But the country DJs all think I'm an outlaw, outlaw.